Sheena, what would you say is your competitive edge? I would honestly say that this podcast and the conversations and dialogues with execs is one of my competitive edges. I feel like access, whether that's to people or information, is a huge competitive edge, especially today in the digital world. That's exactly why we decided to launch The Edge, which is a new thought leadership newsletter penned by our very own president and COO, Kelly Breslin Wright. It's fantastic. It's this sneak peek into the inner thinking and the experiences of a highly successful female executive who has been there, done that as a board member, as a president of a hypergrowth company, as a sales leader. So being able to see her thought processes, you really get to tap into something that you wouldn't have known otherwise. It's really a written extension of what we talk about here, how to scale your business, how to be a better leader, how to adapt to the different trends that are coming. So every month she drops a new addition. It's always less than five minutes. And you know, you know that there's data in that because that's what we do. We love data. So how do we sign up, Jeff? All you have to do is jump down to the show notes and you're going to see a link. Hit the link, put in your email address, and that's it. That's it. That's all you have to do. Easy peasy. All right. That was fun. People realize that sales is so much more than just doing a demo or having a discovery or following up. Like you have to be the best version of yourself every day and you have to really become obsessed with learning. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your potential, then this show is for you. I'm Sheena Badani. And I'm Devin Reed, coming to you from the Gong Studios. We've got a real Ted Lasso story on the Reveal podcast today, and you might be wondering, Devin, what the heck does soccer, or football for my international folks, have to do with sales? Well, Jason Haas is the UK sales director at CultureAmp, an employee engagement and performance platform. And no surprise, based on the company name, he's passionate about creating a culture where his sales teams can truly thrive. After this episode, you'll understand why vulnerability and play are two key elements for winning sales culture. Okay, on to the Ted Lasso connection. Let's start by having Jason share how his experience as a soccer player made him a better sales leader. Jason, welcome to Reveal. Thank you for hanging out with me and the audience. For those who cannot see you, for those who aren't watching on video, you have a couple hundred books behind you as your backdrop, which leads me to ask, have you read all of those books, Jason? So I do an awful lot of reading. The honest answer is that this is actually a secret door and that is wallpaper. It's less glamorous. It's where the bins and the garage are just through there. Um, But there is a story behind it. And so one of the things that I noticed during the pandemic was that the more senior people were within their organizations, the more books that they tended to have behind them. And it became a sort of a show of how, you know, intelligent and how much reading people do. So I thought I'd have my own little bit of fun by putting these expensive looking leather bound books as my wallpaper. 
I could smell the mahogany from here. That's how legitimate that, uh, that library looks, but no, that's hilarious. I'd love to learn a little bit more about you because you're currently the UK sales director at culture amp. And I know that you're very passionate about surprise culture, but before we get into that, do you have a story or something you can tell us, you know, maybe that most people don't know about you? My close friends will laugh at this one because one, they will know it about me and they'll say that I talk about it a lot, but. In the broader context, a lot of people uh, won't know that um, I actually played college soccer in North Carolina. Very cool. And is that the North Carolina Tar Heels? Because I'm, I'm a Tar Heel fan for those who are familiar with co collegiate sports. This is a sore subject, Devin, I have to say. So we were actually the Charlotte 49ers. Now, the Charlotte 49ers are part of the North Carolina school system. We were a sister campus of Chapel Hill. And so they were very much seen as the successful school down the road that had all of the national championships and all of the legacy and success. And I very quickly realized that I had gone to a university and a school that wasn't even the best school in, in North Carolina at the time, which was quite funny. That is funny. Did you end up playing them at all? So, yeah, I guess like at 17 years old, I jumped on a plane and went over to Charlotte and was a part of a freshman class of, I think there were 12 of us. Six of us started as freshmen, which was a really uh, exciting experience for us. When we basically joined, I think we were sort of ranked as a team about 100th in the country. We were a mediocre program is probably the word that would be used to describe it. But we had a fantastic coach. We had a guy named Jeremy Gunn. And Jeremy Gunn, sort of in the space of four years when I was there, he took us from being a very average, unknown team to actually being consistently nationally ranked, to playing on ESPN and making it all the way to the NCAA championship game in which we did actually lose 1-0 to the Tar Heels, our friends and down the road. So it wasn't quite the fairy tale ending that, that we wanted, but nevertheless, it was an amazing experience of being part of a high-performing culture and working towards a common goal. And interestingly, we never actually set out as a team to say we wanted to win the national championship. The one thing that we agreed on at the start of the season was that we just wanted to play as much soccer as possible. And by playing as much soccer as possible, that meant that we would be one of the last two teams playing in the NCAA championship. And so that was always what we were striving for. We lost the game 1-0, but we fulfilled our goal of playing as much football as possible that season. And, and Jeremy Gunn, he then got the head coaching job at Stanford after that. And Stanford, obviously, are an incredibly decorated school and program with national titles in just about every sport. But they had never won a soccer national championship. And there's a funny story about Jeremy Gunn when he got the job at Stanford and the athletics director said to him, are you going to win us a national championship, Jeremy? And he said, yes, I am. And then I'm going to win you another one. <laughs> there's like a there's there's a good article where he was sort of saying when he walked out of that room he was like I can't believe I've just said that but the amazing thing is that he then went on to win three back to back in a row. Well, that is a, a very interesting story. You know the 
the core reason we brought you on is because coaching is the heart of your culture and the heart of your team that you lead, Jason. How did this experience in North Carolina, you know, going from, you know, freshman to senior, going to the, the championship, even if you didn't end up winning, how did that maybe shape how you coach your team today or maybe just, you know, coaching in general? To be completely honest with you, the next sort of 10, 15 years after I graduated from uh, university, I often felt like a unfulfilled potential, almost like I was a failed soccer player. But since I've now been at Culture Amp, really when I look at the work that I'm doing, it's very similar to what I was actually doing when I was out in North Carolina. And, and what I mean by that is that high performance is high performance, whether you're playing soccer or whether you're a sales coach. And I think that one of the biggest takeaways from it, from me, was that it's about mindset. There's a lot around mindset and, and how we can focus on the mental side of, at the time, of course, that was soccer, but how do we focus on the mental side in sales and, and navigate the ups and downs and the psychological element of it? Marginal gains. I, c I can remember we lost in the first two seasons, we lost in penalty shootouts, PKs, they call them in the States. And a lot of people think that these are luck. They're, they're, a lot of people say that they're luck and that it's a lottery. And we lost two of them and we got knocked out in the first two seasons. And I remember the coach literally saying, we're, that's not happening again. And so next season, every single day, <laughs> we practice penalties. And I think Jeremy Gunn, after that loss, he went on to win like the next 10 penalty shootouts in a row. And so this was a real eye-opening experience for me where you actually can control a lot of these things and you should focus on, on the minor details that can really have an oversized impact. There was tons that I learned about cohesion and, and team dynamics. And, and I think one of the biggest things as well was trust in leadership as a group of young adults. We hung on every word that the coach said, and that's obviously something that has to be earned and you can't uh, sort of force. And I think that the real underlying thing that comes through there is trust. And I think that's a theme as a sales coach and for leaders moving forward is that trust is going to be a real, real key. Having been a sales rep before, it's like that trust is multidimensional. Coaching is a vulnerable moment to come to someone and say, hey, I'm willing to not just show you my wins, but also the vulnerability of saying, hey, I don't think I'm very strong in this area or, hey, here's a place where I could have done better uh, and having trust in that person to not judge them, but to truly look for ways to, to improve their skills. So tell me a little bit more about what the impact has been because you've been at Culture Amp for what, five years now, you've been coaching and making it part of the culture. Let's start kind of high level. What is the impact that you've seen maybe at the company level, team level, individual level, whatever comes to mind to you? I think, first of all, we're incredibly lucky at Culture Amp in that our reason for being as an organization is to create high performance cultures and to help people, teams and companies to perform at their best. And so... Really, it is deeply ingrained into our culture and our, our, our DNA as an organization, which makes my role as a sales leader much easier in that regard. In terms of the, the, the impact that it's had, we, we're really trying to create what we call a culture of feedback. And so this is not only like asking for feedback, 
but also kind of putting yourself out there and giving constructive feedback. And so we talk about this through the lens of the growth mindset. And we're always kind of thinking about how do you give feedback, but not just feedback, objective, actionable feedback. And um, I think one of the things that we've really seen through coaching is that people realize that sales is so much more than just doing a demo or having a discovery or following up. Like you have to be the best version of yourself every day and you have to really become obsessed with learning. And that's kind of something that we really try and instill at, at Culture Amp. One of our values is actually to learn faster through feedback. And so we're constantly, constantly trying to, to live and breathe that. Some of the ways in which we do that with Gong, we have something which is called a sales excellence program, which is our, our enablement team lead this. But they'll often have like um, a behavior each week that they will be focusing on. And then they'll set like a challenge or an experiment that week for people to do. And then they'll share Gong clips back. And so we're really kind of creating that cycle by which we're continuously learning, innovating and evolving and, and growing together. It sounds like you're using weekly focused coaching sessions to drive behavior change for your organization. Absolutely. We have a number of scorecards that we've pulled together uh, using Gong. So we're able to not just go in there and give feedback on the call, but actually think really specifically around what are we trying to reinforce and what is it that we're giving feedback on. Some of this stuff can be really, really simple and, and straightforward. We call it like brilliant basics. An example of that, did you get next steps booked in on the call as an example, but also some of the softer skills that we try to look for as well. So things around curiosity and asking good questions and active listening. And really, it's not that difficult to incentivize these things if you're able to have the data that you can link these things to being a better salesperson. And I think that when you can combine that with also getting more enjoyment out of your role, then that is a really, really powerful thing. And what I mean by that is that there have been two things that we've really noticed at Coltramp when it comes to top performing sellers. Number one is that there's a direct correlation between target attainment and how much each rep uses Gong, which has been fascinating. The highest performers are the biggest users of Gong consistently. But the second thing, when you look at all of the high performers, one of the things that they all have in common is that they all seem to be enjoying themselves. They've all got a smile on their face. They're all open. They're all using humor. They're telling their own story. And that's why I think that it's really important that it's not just the right skills, but it's creating the right environment where people feel like they can show up with those things in mind. What Jason says here is super important. Sales reps who enjoy their jobs and trust their leadership sell better. And research backs this up. A report from Culture Amp shows that high performers score 11% higher on employee surveys when it comes to factors relating to confidence in leadership. Not only that, but they're also 10% more engaged than average employees and they report stronger cultures of collaboration and communication across industries and geographies. Let's hear more from Jason about how he incentivizes his team to sell better. 
sometimes I hear people say, oh, and how do you incentivize the, the right behaviors? We want our reps to be empathetic, curious. We want them to have fun. You really don't need to convince people that you really don't need to incentivize those things because they're actually quite nice. And if people lean into them and that experience and act on the right behaviors and habits in sales, like that's where real magic can happen, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, and it's something you really hire for, right? It, it, it's really tough to teach empathy. If you, if you hire someone who's not empathetic, I, I don't know that you'll make a lot of progress teaching them that. And not, not to say it's something you can't learn, but it's it's tough to learn a sales gig and say, well, hey, it's not just these hard skills. It's actually very empathetic. And let's like work on that. You know, it's tough. One of the other things that we also do, actually, we've had a bit of fun with, we have what we call the Gong Awards on our team and uh, one of the reps took it upon himself to basically just review the gong insights of our team and you know how it will say like talk ratio patience and it will list all of these different things that the calls are being sort of analyzed on and we actually had a little bit of fun and we did like a gong awards in which we had a good laugh guessing who was going to sort of come out on top on each of the categories. I think I won the, the award of the most impatient quite consistently <laughs> <laughs> in responding too quickly when the prospect had, had finished. So that was one that I've been working on. But we, we just really try to create that environment where it's okay to fail. It's okay to have fun. And basically, I, I think the psychological safety element of that is really, really important. And that, again, comes from the environment that you actually create. Really, culture is the collective decision of what to value and what not to value, right? And, it, and it's clear that you're, you're fostering that with the team. And then it kind of becomes cyclical in a way, right? Where, you know, the more you buy into it, the bigger it gets. And the more you buy, right? And it kind of has a snowball effect. There's an interesting thing there, right? And I think there's a misconception in that people sometimes think you can have a great culture or you can be a high performance culture. And it's like, you can have a good experience at work and enjoy it and still be high performing. And that's what we're really trying to get right. It's not one at the expense of the other. It's how do we create both of those things, which is difficult. Here's where I'm curious is like, paint me a picture, right? What is the dream sales culture look like? And maybe where are you on that journey today? We've actually spent some time as a team talking about this. And my vision for the team was for us to be the healthiest, most engaged and high, highest performing sales team globally. Now, when I mean like healthiest, what I don't mean like, you know, we don't eat snacks or, you know, nobody drinks or anything like that. But we're measuring this in terms of uh, the data points that we get back on our employee engagement surveys, questions around well-being and workload and things like that. And then we also look at our engagement scores as well. So for me, I want us to be the highest performing team globally, but I want us to do it in a way that basically is centered and focused on well-being and also people feeling valued and enjoying themselves at work. In the second part of that question, where are we on that journey? We're still very early on. We're still building this. And it's something I've been really fortunate in that we've got an awesome team and people have really bought into it to, to what we're trying to achieve. Our last engagement score on our survey from our team was 96%, which I'm incredibly proud of. And that is evidence and testament to the work that we're doing. I'm curious, what are some of the like top takeaways you've learned in this journey so far? Intrinsic motivation beats extrinsic motivation every single time. 
you can be successful in the short term by focusing on external rewards. But really, if you want people to do their best work, you have to motivate them. You have to give them a compelling vision. You have to make them feel valued and, and feel like they belong. The other thing that I would say is I think that there is a right and a wrong way to lose. And I think that you can win badly and I think that you can lose well. And I'm okay with us losing well. And again, that comes back to the behaviors and the habits piece. Like, did we do the right things? Yes, we did. Did we lose? Yes. Okay. So it, it's, it then softens that blow a little bit. And I think there's something around high performers that when I, when I look at high performers, they're consistently lucky. They're consistently lucky. And I say that sort of with a, a little bit of a tongue in cheek. Because I don't think it is luck. It is like preparation and it's doing the right things day in, day out and then taking the chance when, when you get an opportunity. And you'll see the same teams when a deal just comes out of the blue that we've not spoken to them in six months and all of a sudden a deal comes out of the blue. And you'll notice it's the same people that that tends to happen to time and time again. And it's not because they're lucky. It's because they've built a relationship. They've been memorable. They've done the work. And when that right time comes, then people will remember you and they'll reach out to you and, and that work pays you back. The other thing as well that I've learned is that particularly when I was out in uh, America, it was the first time when I had really been in a team of people that were thrown together from all over the world that had completely different upbringings. And we just had to make it, we just had to make it work. And there were people that when I met them first, I just really didn't understand or get on with them particularly well. And I ended up being the best man at one of their weddings uh, a couple of years back. And it really, really taught me the importance of like diversity and not just diversity of like where people are from or like the color of their skin, but also like diversity of thought and diversity of opinion and all of those different things. And it, it taught me that you don't even have to really be best friends with some people in the workplace or on the field. But when it was the equivalent on the soccer field, it was like, did that person sweat as much, put as much hard work in as I did when they were playing? Would they put their body on the line for the team? And if the answer to those questions is yes, then I'm like, do you know what? I actually, it doesn't matter if I don't have anything in common with this person or we really don't seem to get along that well. Because I trust that person that is going to step up and be there when the chips are down. I want to go back to something you had said a little while ago. I think it's been clear, like being vulnerable as a leader is that first step. I'm curious, like, how have you done this at Coltramp? One of our values is have the courage to be vulnerable. Brené Brown philosophy, we really see vulnerability as, as a strength. And I think it's insecure leaders that don't show vulnerability. I guess it, there is one example that springs to mind, and it was actually one of the first times that I had ever used Gong. And it was a few years back, I was doing a, a, a demo, and I then had a therapy session that was booked straight after it. And the therapy session was on my phone via Skype, and I didn't leave the Zoom meeting on the call. And basically, yeah. Gong transcribed my therapy session. And I had this panic moment initially, and I phoned up my uh, mentor Amelia and I was like look I'm absolutely devastated that I've just had a therapy session 
and it's publicly available for everyone in the Culture Amps Hours organisation to watch and listen to and actually read the gong insights on it as well, which I think would have been quite funny. But essentially, I thought about it and I thought, well, one, it was a really good demo and I wanted the insights and the notes from it. Number two, I also thought, do you know what? One of our values is have the courage to be vulnerable. If on the very, very slim chance, someone wants to go in there, watch the discovery call and then watch my 30 minute long therapy session afterwards, they can feel free. Because there was nothing on there that I had said that, you know, I was particularly embarrassed or, or ashamed about. Um, so there was that. And that sort of culminated fairly recently, actually, in, in me getting a diagnosis of ADHD a few weeks ago in my 30s which I'm led to believe is, is fairly uncommon. But one of the first things that I did was to share that with my team. And uh, the reason that I thought that would be the right thing to do was because there are certain skills that people with ADHD aren't particularly good at. Things like organisation, task management, writing lists, being organised. Uh, a lot of the things that I actually find really, really difficult, surprise, surprise. But on the flip side of that, they can be creative, they can be visionary, they can be storytellers and all of these other things. And I just thought it would be great. The best thing to do would be to, to, to share that with my team so that they're more aware and understanding of me as a person and my strengths and, and my weaknesses. I wanted to share with my team and, and bring them along on that journey with me. I appreciate you sharing that uh, with me and the, and the listeners. And so I'm going to wrap with the final question. How would you describe sales? In one word. So, you know, I'm going to go a bit out there with this one, Devin, and I'm going to say sales is an art. And I know that it's also a science. And I know that there are loads of people that are going to say, it's a science, you know, data, 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 all of that things, which I know are super important. But then I think that there's a flip side of that. And it's that it involves human beings and human beings are a messy, complicated, sometimes unpredictable emotional sales is it's performance at times it's storytelling it's all of those things i like to look at it through that way and kind of appreciate that side of sales if you want to learn more about how revenue intelligence can help build a culture of coaching head over to gong.io and if you like what you heard today, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening.